Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Adam Stone, and this is the Committed Collective Podcast. With my co-hosts, Steve Kerwin and Byron Hazley, we speak to an array of great guests to discuss ways to unify, educate, and empower ourselves against racism and social economic inequality. Steve, where can our listeners find us on social media? Yeah, first off, you can find us on our website at thecommittedcollective.org. Don't forget to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Next, you can find us at The Committed Collective on Instagram and Facebook. And my personal favorite, The Committed Collective Forum on Facebook, where we have open dialogue topics about conversations that we need to have that we might not necessarily want to. As always, remember to challenge inequalities and champion change now. Hey, what is going on, everybody? We're back again. Committed Collective Podcast. Got the full staff in the house. Adam Stone here, Steve Kerwin and Byron Hazley. For the first time in a while, I will start with Steve. It might be a bad decision, but Steve, what is going on with you, sir? There is no bad decisions that come from you, Adam. That's why I like you. All your decisions are perfect and good. Life is great. I still can't believe we made it to season three. I really, really thought, uh, I didn't know if we'd make two seasons. I I certainly thought you were going to throw me off after season one. I appreciate you. Um, I didn't know all it was going to take was uh, for me to build a brand new volleyball court for you. But uh, here we are. Byron, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Steve. Really happy to be back on with you guys. Um, Taking the caboose here on the intros, but I love it. I love it when the wild card gets thrown off guard. So it's awesome. Uh, Adam, what are we going to be talking about today? Happy to be back with you. What's on schedule? Well, we're kind of bouncing on over all over the place today, even going across the pond for a little bit. But today we are starting with the Robert Sarver news. Uh, For those who don't know, Robert Sarver is the owner of the Phoenix Suns NBA basketball franchise, recently received a fine of $10 million and a one-year suspension for uh, what many accuse him of as derogatory racial comments and conduct as the owner of that franchise to employees and other members of the organization. And, you know, I read a lot about what was going on with the case. I know Steve and Byron, you guys both took a look at it. Byron, do you think the penalty matched the the crime in terms of what actions Sarver is accused of and for the most part is, you know, seen as doing? Uh, no, Adam, I'm actually a bit taken back by this because when I saw the reports that came out, this all stemmed from a ESPN report. I think they did an outside the lines on him and his behavior because it wasn't just uh, racist. It was also misogynist. So he's been accused and, um, you know, he's been accused of both. And based on the reports and the NBA's investigation, um, they felt that those were valid accusations. Um, and I'm really at a loss here because The last time something like this happened within the NBA, uh, it was Donald Sterling, and he abruptly lost his ownership of the Los Angeles Clippers. And I'd really like to understand what the difference is between these two. Obviously, there's clear and cut differences, but at the end of the day, when you look at it from a player's perspective, from a uh, optics perspective, Mm -hmm. it's hand in hand mm-hmm. and, and Steve before you chime in and just to clarify some of the the allegations you know there were accusations from even corroborated by his at the time coach um, Hispanic black man Earl Watson of Sarver using the n-word repeatedly even after being asked by his uh employees that are people in co- people of color not to use that word and how insensitive and uh just wrong it is to use the word and you continue to use it. So, you know, that's just a, an example of the the conduct that he has been accused and cooperated of committing. Steve, you know, with that, we didn't get anything close to that with Donald Sterling back in 2014 when he was caught on tape saying things about, um, you know, some of the players and, and whatnot that he was uh, uh 
paying under the franchise. So, you know, what do you think led to and what many people consider a lighter punishment here since he doesn't have to lose his franchise? He takes a fine and a suspension, but he gets to maintain his ownership. Uh, it's not being talked about on CNN. It's not being talked about on Fox News. At the end of the day, the, the Clippers are in L.A. Donald Sterling was a um, a bigger figure um, in the NBA world. We know the Lakers run it and the Clippers may be second tier, but you knew the name Donald Sterling. People did. You pulled a whole bunch of people that even pay attention to sports. They couldn't have told you who the Suns ownership is. They're a small market team that honestly – I've been to Phoenix Suns games, one of the worst facilities you could be in. I mean, Charles Barkley went on and ran about the stale nachos and the horrible and how uncomfortable seating. But I think, you know, the, the crime just doesn't fit the punishment for that exact reason. And there's no proof. So there was nothing for people to jump all over. You'd think a couple hundred people telling you about it and admitting that this is how the, it was ran. But it definitely got swept under the rug. And for anybody that thinks $10 million is a lot of money, when the guy's net worth is $800 million, to put it into perspective, that's a $125 fine to somebody that makes $100,000. If my math is correct, I did take 099 in college three times to be able to graduate, but I think I can run a little calculator. And uh, $125, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty pathetic. So the sad thing is it's also not surprising Although the NBA can always be at the forefront of some issues, they also, just like when something happened in China, it was hush-hush when it's 20% of the revenue coming in. In the same situation, people just didn't care. Um, and, and that was enough for uh, the old commissioner, Adam Silver, to kind of drop the ball on this one. And I'll be honest with you, the NBA has been doing a lot of that hush-hush action lately. Outside of them standing up, you know, with the um, with the fight against racism, and that was really driven by the players because they basically said, we're not playing until you guys take action. You know, um, they've really been hush-hush on pretty much everything and anything that has to do with them being tapped on the side for their pockets, you know, and, and it's really disappointing, in my opinion, to see. Yeah, Byron, I mean, you're right about that. Even things dealing with China and some of the actions that, you know, they're seen as doing as oppressive against people in that uh, region of the world. A lot of the NBA franchises had to remain quiet on it because of the financial ties that the NBA has with China and the Chinese government. So, you know, I I think it's one thing when you you, you look at a you know, a league like the NBA, it is a business, but at the same time, at the social ethics factor is really lacking at times. And when the players aren't uh, really putting their foot down and doing things to hold up the league and put the, the money of the games being played in jeopardy, nothing seems to happen. And, you know, that was one thing that stood out to me is that uh, the in the NBA's Player Association, the president who's been a longstanding president, Chris Paul, he was on the team for the Clippers back in 2014 when Donald Sterling was caught on tape and him and his teammates at the time, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan and others, they boycotted playing for Donald Sterling. And that is really what prompted not only the larger investigation, but his eventual ouster from that franchise. So, you know, here the team has been in discussion with, or I should say the league has been in discussion with Chris Paul and others, members of the Suns, uh, the players roster, but at the same time, there hasn't been this type of outcry or boycott or anything similar there. So, you know, Byron, do you think, and Steve too, do you both think that this is something that the players should be responsible for in terms of putting their foot down and boycotting? Um, Steve, let's start with you. So I'll, I'm going to assume there's something we don't know because like I said, Robert Sarver is a, is a nobody in the sports world. He is not Jerry Jones. He's not Mark Cuban. So he's not Jeannie boss. This was an easy one to be able to tell him he's got to go. I mean, you kicked Jerry Richardson out of the league in the NFL for, for probably what sounds like not even half the amount of things that happened. And for Robert Sarver to still be around, there's clearly something that we don't know, <laughs> whether he's got dirt on somebody, he's got pictures. Like 
it's laughable, but it's really not funny. I just don't, I don't understand this one. I don't get it. This one should have been easy. Yeah. And maybe it goes back to a point that was made earlier, Steve, that they don't have any hard video evidence, you know, like they did of one Donald Sterling, but it, it, there's too many, too many people that have spoken up to me to have this light of a punishment. Like I fully expected once I saw the initial report that this guy was going to lose ownership. I was just like, Oh, here's another Donald Sterling case where they're going to have to force this owner to sell. But I, I was really shocked to see the outcome of the NBA's announcement. But uh to answer your question, Stone, I would love to see the players boycott this situation. Cause to me, any, Anyone that's speaking out like that, they're a detract, they're a detractor towards the movement in which the players are trying to move. They want equality. They want, you know, for everyone. It shouldn't just mm-hmm. be for the players. It's everyone for the fans. Right. Um, and he was not only, I mean, it was not only just African Americans. It was, um, it was females as well. So I would definitely love to see some type of boycott here. It just really comes to show. The, the, it's almost like it's a difference of Chris Paul is ring chasing. He loves playing for Monty Williams, the, the brotherhood of the players that they're not going to let the owner disrupt. But yet at the same time, Chris Paul was quick to do that with the Clippers, Doc Rivers, Blake Griffin, once again, another championship type team. So I just, I have a lot of, I just, I'm with you. I don't understand. I thought this one was easy and I'm, I am pretty astonished that that was the punishment there. So I guess more to come and, Maybe we'll find out when the season goes. Maybe it's because when it's in an off season, you know, I guess you could threaten to boycott, but maybe Chris Paul says we're not playing until he's gone. And that gets, and that's something he's got up his sleeve in a month. And I guess time will tell. Yeah. Uh, I think you made a good point there in terms of whether or not Chris Paul being the one common link between the two situations. If in hindsight, he sees it differently then, you know, how they proceeded last time, you know, and he might regret the fact that not standing up to it, but just knowing the impact that it had on their ability to perform and and really focus on the season. And, you know, you don't want to have something like this just go swept under the rug because you want to win a championship. But, you know, I think there is something to the fact that, you know, these players, they're trying to you know, make a living for their families and do what they need to do to succeed and and do what they are paid to do. But, you know, the league is telling them they can only do so much and that they're doing everything within their power. And the Players Association is saying the same thing. They might feel like it, it's not their fight as much anymore. So, you know, I, I would like to see what the take is from the other players and see if there is anything that happens closer to the year. But, you know, it, it's it's something where there is a at least some indication that, you know, like you said, Byron, there might be something else out there that is allowing him to defend himself more than we would expect. So we'll see what the developments turn into. As you said there, you know, we're getting through the off season, but as we're switching gears a little bit, it's somewhat sports related, but at the same time, we're getting into politics again, midterms coming up, Senate races are heating up. One in particular is the race between Ralph Warnock and Herschel Walker for a U.S. Senate seat in the state of Georgia. And, you know, this is a a very unique situation because you have two black men running against each other, one being a Democrat, one being a Republican. And at this point, it's almost seen as a toss up. So, Steve, from what you've been watching uh, through the coverage, through the research on the polls and the expected results, how do you think things have played out so far and, and what have been your takes? Yeah, I think this is a telling tale of of where politics are right now. Um, I'm a big fan of of Warnock from a, somebody who doesn't live in Georgia, listens to him speak. Just seems like a type of guy you would want in office. And uh, Herschel Walker is a is a famous football player from way back when. It is a uh, a fanboy best BFF with old Donnie Trump, um, and he he plays that card. And he he plays it very well. Um, he gets to use his power, um, his notoriety down there. And and this is going to be close. And if you know, I it's I love the politics uh, portion of trying to guess and, and see who's going to win certain ones. And things always tilt towards a Republican. 
six months ago, even though I knew that maybe even a year ago when, when he was getting involved, I thought Herschel Walker was just going to get absolutely annihilated. Um, now it's going to be very close. I'll still be pretty surprised if he actually does win. Um, because I just truly think, I think the Supreme Court aspect is going to drive more Democrats to the polls than we would than would have actually happened if that decision didn't get overturned. Because we know that people are not happy with the economy right now, which means they're going to lean towards voting Republican. Plus, you have a Democrat in office, so that's just naturally how it goes. Uh, two years after a president comes in, but I think. Uh, Warnock will hold on. I, I do think he'll end up winning. Um, but this one's going to be very, very close. Ryan, what's your thoughts? Are you uh, are you handing the ball off to Herschel here and thinking he's taking it for Georgia or what? I, I got to be honest with you, Steve. I, I thought it was a joke when they told me that this dude was running. Like, I wish we could have some audio laid in here of this guy talking to people because <clears throat> People laugh at Joe Biden speaking. You hear Herschel Walker speaking, and I hate to make light of it, but this dude probably is walking around with CTE stage four. Like this dude is on the struggle bus when he communicates with others. Uh, he's elderly now. He's got to be in his 70s. Um, he, he's just not the, as my dad would say, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know, um, and I'm really surprised that this close, this race is close. I was actually, I've been following it, um, as things have started to heat up, um, just baffling to me. And it's you want just, to know how I want to know why I agree with you. And I, with the CTE card, because we do believe in facts at PCC, Herschel Walker is 60 years old. <laughs> So Herschel Walker talks like he's 85. You tried to give him credit of being in his seventies. Oh yeah. And his ads are horrible. Like I said, he's trying to say that Warnock lied about having a dog. What else would he lie about? It is, it is so bad. And it's straight out of Trump's book. And a lot of people try to do this. And I'll tell you, a few of them have gotten through and won on their elections. Um, Especially a couple females that are out there. And, Marjorie Taylor and Lauren Fairbird or however you say her name. But yeah, I'm surprised that it's gone this far and I can't believe it's that close. It just comes to show how divided in particular the deep South is with the major issues that are happening. Well, Adam, what do you think? I was just going to say one more thing before Adam jumps in. It really goes to show me that this race, you know, based on the polls is this close. It really goes to show that people truly it's really bipartisan where no matter what people are going to vote Republican, like there's just a share of people, no matter what, they're going to vote Republican. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think with this one, you know, it's already been stated that the the reason why Walker was selected over five other Republican candidates for this uh election was because of his popularity. You know, he's a, a football star in the state of Georgia and just the deep South in general. So he has a lot of name recognition for, um, you know, what he's running for in that area. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of allegations of domestic violence and other things in his past that are hanging over his uh, campaign at this point. And, you know, overall, I've, I've seen ads that have been attacking on both sides. And, you know, it's interesting to me to see in the past through political campaigns or, you know, election battles, we might see one candidate be a person of color or a minority going against uh, a white male and seeing how that contrast plays out. Here we have two men, both men are men of faith, you know, uh, Reverend Ralph North. Warnock was pastor in the state of Georgia. Uh, Herschel Walker is a, a self-proclaimed man of faith. So they both have that Christian background, but it's still leading to polar opposite views on certain things, pro-life versus pro-choice and whatnot. So, you know, I, I do like the aspect of, you know, the seeing how the 
cultural divide still plays out in these types of situations. And, you know, in the end, just like everything else, we're looking at how these candidates both plan to make a positive impact for their constituents and for the rest of the country as a whole. And, you know, seeing who could come up with better ideas. So it's um, tough to see what is going to come out of this as they start to get closer to the election. You know, they've already agreed to do one um debate between each other so you know i'm sure that'll be interesting television and we'll just go from there what's also interesting is that and i get senate races are very popular but the the governor's race is stacy abrams versus brian kemp that is also too close to call very good stacy abrams was the mvp of turning georgia blue right um uh last go around in the election so it's not getting the appreciation and that's where it gets a little trick dicey with Walker because that's clearly why he's in it because people are just enamored with him. And the more ridiculous he is, the more people kind of like him and we've seen this playbook and not everybody could do it, but when you get it, so hopefully fingers cross it that Abrams and, and Warnock take it. If I had to guess, I don't think Abrams is going to knock off Kemp, but you never know. It's going to get crazy. Byron, when we, talked about this Senate battle uh, last time around when Ralph Warnock won the seat. You know, we were talking about the the cultural aspects of him running campaigns with dogs of certain breeds to appeal more to the white population and doing other things to appeal more towards the, the moderates and the conservatives. It seems like the Republicans are countering that by coming in with a, a football star, you know, a, a very well-known um black man who has had a lot of success in the state and in the country as a whole. How do you think, you know, seeing how this plays out, what are your thoughts in terms of what could potentially go from here with how, you know, both sides, both parties, Republican and, and Democrat try to use the race card and other uh, cultural aspects to get more position with the population? I think it's, It'll be interesting because I, it'll be really interesting to see. I, I'd really like to see their first debate if they're well, they're only doing one, but I'd really like to see their debate because I'm sure it's going to come up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard something outlandish like, um, you know, one of those takes where Herschel comes out and calls him a cornball brother or something outlandish, you know, out of pocket where he, he gets people that are, you know, far out there and they're like, yeah, this is our guy, mm -hmm. you know, something out of to Steve's point, uh, Trump's playbook, you know, where he, he gets the crowd going that way. And I think Warnock will be a guy that stays straight, plays it safe. So it'll be um, it'll if be he does that, see how it plays out. If he does that, it's going to cost him the election. Very similar to what Hillary tried to do that with Donald was going. And then forever it was Trump. You'd be in jail and all those different ones. He has to. The, the biggest mistake as somebody who's voted blue my whole life that I've always criticized Democrats is they play it safe card and they don't ever try to attack because they feel like Republicans will just bury themselves in a hole. And you have to attack. You cannot just sit there. Funny saying, using the term conservative when referring, referring to Democrats. But mm -hmm. I've always found that wildly frustrating. At not just debates that a lot of times when policies are, or changing of laws or doing the things that you talked about is the inability to actually do what you said. But I, in debates in particular, it's like trying to take the high road. It's okay to throw a few jabs in there. You don't have to be ridiculous, but don't. Don't get ran over. And that that's my fear if they do debate. I just know Walker's been ducking him on a debate stage for quite some time. So this is a methodical approach from Walker's team to wait till the last minute to do it. They knew better than to put him up there three times. So they're gonna do it one time and hope that they can go for the top. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Ralph War Ralph Warnock, Reverend Ralph Warnock is much more presentable, much more polished when it comes to these types of speaking engagements. So, you know, they, they know where their sweet spot is and what areas to avoid uh, when it comes to the Republican campaign and how they might you know, position Herschel Walker to uh, make that final push. But it will be interesting to see. I, I do want to see how the overall voting goes down, you know, not only just who wins, but who voted for who, who 
voted on what sides when it comes to certain issues, certain, you know, demographics and whatnot to see how that really does play its role in this Republican Democrat battle. Uh, and Steve, like you said, that independent population will be very interesting to watch in particular and how that plays out. Especially in a divisive state like Georgia, that's not known for their independence. You you vote for one party, historically speaking, in Georgia. So that's going to be a really interesting state to watch. Mm-hmm. Let's stay in the deep south uh, with this one. You know, we've heard a lot about Mississippi lately having financial issues and those issues really hampering their infrastructure, specifically their water supply. And we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But uh, one story that is coming back up again is another football star and some negative light. And that's former quarterback Brett Favre. Uh, Byron, you were talking about taking a lot of hits with Herschel Walker. I'm sure Favre has had his share over the years, too, with his career as a Green Bay Packer quarterback, uh, Minnesota Vikings, a couple other teams. And he has been under fire for the last few years, actually, because he was part of an alleged fraud scheme as it relates to the state of Mississippi's welfare fund. And just to summarize briefly, um, two instances in particular are under heavy investigation. One where he has uh, alleged to received over a million dollars for speeches that he never appeared to and never gave the speech and was paid by the state of Mississippi for these speeches. And another instance where he, through his daughter, was able to raise $5 million for the University of Southern Mississippi for a volleyball stadium, both under the state's welfare funds program, which obviously would be better served for helping populations and people of need when it comes to housing, food, you know, just random and required living expenses. So um, at this point, you know, we haven't seen any criminal charges brought against him, despite some of the people that he was working with on these schemes being arrested and already behind bars and other politicians being disgraced and no longer in office. So, you know, it had me wondering, guys, what do you think has led to far maintaining his presence so far? And do you think this is just a sign of white superiority playing its role in the deep South or Steve, I see you smirking over there. Why do you think this is playing itself out so far the way it has? I mean, I'm just curious about the Southern Miss volleyball team. Like, what are we talking about here? I show all historically, historically, what year was this? Give me, give me, did we know what year it was? 20, this is 2017, 2017, 2018, when he oh, was having these was, conversations it, for funds. In 2019, the Southern Miss women's volleyball team went three and 26 and one and 13 in their conference. So, uh, looks like the funds weren't utilized the right way. This is this is uh, a, a blasphemy. This is one of the most ridiculous things, and this is something that we that you always see as you hear of welfare, right? And you're assuming you're like, wow, they get to eat for free. You hear it all the time. Wow. I have to go work hard for mine and they just get to eat for free. That they term is thrown out all the time when referring to not just the lower class. We know when it comes to race as well, but it's just pathetic. Like Brett Favre's got enough money that you don't think Brett Favre showing up and talking at the school or doing some type of fundraiser, come shake Brett Favre's hand, let me sign a jersey. You could get a volleyball court in a weekend if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to spearhead this thing. So it's a money grab. It's using your power to generate more funds for yourself um, and then also helping the school do that. It, it's it's pathetic. It's disgusting. And it's not surprising. Once again, it's in the deep south um, where all of these situations always seem to happen. And, uh, you know, I was smirking. It, it's not funny, but it's not surprising. And the sad truth is nothing will come about of it and nothing will change. Byron, am I wrong? Uh, geez. Unfortunately, you're probably not wrong, Steve. I would love to see some charges brought forth. Um, little background history about me. My first job out of college was actually, um, the person that reviewed applications and then uh, whether approved or denied them for food assistance and state assistance. Um, 
And I know, at least in the state of Michigan, they have an entire department that's dedicated to fraudulent cases, and they just constantly look for irregularities and then investigate those. Mm. So I'm trying to understand how did an entire department, if they have it in Mississippi, turn a blind eye to millions of dollars being funneled out through um through these accounts. But um opposite of that, I think, you know, people get investigated and, you know, charges brought up against them for four or five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars of food assistance. Um being misused right you sell your bridge card someone takes it um they go use it you make some quick cash people get investigated not only do they lose access to that money from the state but they also sometimes have criminal charges brought up against them and i understand in this situation with Favre, he did pay back the money but the fact of the matter is you still you know you still did some dirty stuff and there should be, you know, consequences to what was done. My question would also be, cause you say he paid it back. What has he done that didn't get caught? That didn't come about that then. So that, that's, that's another question I have, but yeah, the, the, the war on people with welfare is it, it's even it. think about it like this. That's way, way worse than the war on uh, student loans getting uh, like 10 grand going in student loans. People made a really big deal about that. The fact that you can rip apart people on welfare is one of the oddest things. I, I've i never understood it. It's pennies out of our check. Kids got to eat. So I, it's just, it's gross. It's, Adam, what do you think? Yeah. And I mean, the way that it's set up, Steve, and I hate to get into this, but the way that it's set up, it's, it's set up to help people, you know, subside their income, you know, help, help be an addition to them. So you can't necessarily like, all right, well, if you paid all your bills, how much money would you have to pay towards food? Right. And then the state kind of fills that gap. That's the way that it works in Michigan, right? Where they go through, you look at their income, you review paychecks, all that stuff in order for someone to get assistance. So, now, we had Scott Santons on last season, and he was talking about, and I don't remember what program it was, same type of federal program, but it was almost impossible to get funds. In fact, he didn't think they had ever paid it out or didn't pay it out that year. So that brings up, so when you brought up, how do you get those funds? How How is that funds even able to be pushed that way? I mean, it's right. just moving money, but- there, there's your biggest problem right there. People accuse people of using welfare and going above and beyond. What about the people that take the funds out of there to funnel a volleyball court? And then what else is being used to funnel throughout this country? Right. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Steve, there's a lot of concern about scams at the lower level, very small level for $500,000, maybe more than that. But here you're talking about $5 million with the support of the former governor to make it all happen. So this is corruption at the state's highest level to enable one of its, you know, quote unquote, golden child children to perpetrate this fraud against the whole state and its finances. And, you know, I think that what we're seeing is something that we're even seeing, you know, alleged through the PPP and the repayments and the use of funds there, how there are a lot of funds paid out to large companies, wealthy individuals, when it it wouldn't seem that those PP funds should, PPP funds should have been paid out that way. And, you know, a lot of times there is somebody on the government side that's moving things along uh, for better or worse. So, you know, where you're having people like Brett Favre misuse the situation or misuse the system, it's almost all the time supported by high ranking officials and others that should be there to prevent this kind of fraud. They're the ones helping to make it happen more than anybody. And uh, I mentioned earlier some of his uh, alleged co-conspirators working with him on this scheme, one being Nancy New, 
who is a founder and owner of a, a Mississippi-based nonprofit who basically worked uh, directly with the governor at the time to, that's Mississippi governor, former Mississippi governor Phil Bryant, to push funds for this volleyball complex for the um, the stunning volleyball team of USM, the University of Southern Mississippi. So, you know, that is just what we're talking about in terms of seeing how there are ways for the community to be improved. There are ways for people in need to get these types of resources. But when they're funneled to illegal uses, then, you know, the system shuts down because now the funds aren't used the first time around. And typically those funds are either put in even more strict of a regiment or just taken away entirely. And then the people who are really in need are left without. So um, I also go ahead. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about that. If you just Google the poorest states of the United States, you will see that Mississippi is number one with 19.5 percent of the people below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. So you also have a lot of nerve doing it in the state that has the poorest individuals. And that is a slap in the face. Everybody that resides in that state. Yeah. And, you know, we have everything that has come out so far as it relates to Favre and action against him has been on the civil side as opposed to criminal. So for those who don't know, you know, legal system, there's a civil side and criminal side on the basic front and the criminal side. That's where you're ending up behind bars, jail time, fines, heavy penalties, things like that. But on the civil side, that's where, you know, states can have civil actions against individuals and, you know, get damages and whatnot, but it still doesn't lead to jail time and, and those things that really should be deterrence for this type of fraud against the state and against the people living in the state. So I'll, I'll be interested to see as they gather more information on the civil side, whether that then prompts the state to start bringing criminal action and really um, penalizing him and punishing him for what he did here. Yes or no question to both of you. Steve, do you think he should be behind bars based on what you know about the situation? Yes. Yes. Okay. I agree. I agree 100%. So we'll see. Fingers crossed on more coming out, more truth coming out, and, you know, the reasonable punishment from there. But, you know, it, it doesn't look good so far for uh, Brett. Now, we're getting close to the end of the show to – get at the finish line we didn't want to mention and, and bring up the the passing of queen elizabeth ii um the recent passing and you know there's been a lot of reaction throughout social media and the world obviously based on uh, the queen's passing and again you know like a lot of other things we see a division in the response based on cultural divides and Byron, one thing that um, I've noticed, you know, over the day since her passing is that the reaction from the BIPOC community has not been overwhelmingly positive for the queen, her life, her legacy. How do you think the balance plays out when you're talking about one of the first and most powerful female leaders in the modern era versus the legacy and the history of British colonialism and, you know, her role in continuing that and not ending it in some situations where people felt, you know, things could have been changed and countries given their independence when they still do not have it entirely. Um, do you think that in the end, her legacy is going to be seen as positive or negative? So I think to the everyday person, I think it's going to be viewed as negative more than positive. You know, I've seen some interviews from overseas where people were interviewed um, and they were happy, basically, that she was no longer around. Not that things are going to get better now that her son's taking over, but um, it's a different 
way of life over there, I guess I would say. Uh, I was listening to something recently where they talk about, you know, in the England, it, it doesn't really matter what happens in your life, like what you, whatever class you're born into, you're always in that class. Whereas in the United States, it's completely different. You could start from nothing and become something, you know, uh, something that people love and adore and admire. Whereas over there, like the queen, people couldn't touch her. Like you couldn't go up and shake her hand. And that was part of their process. So I think, you know, there there wasn't a personal connection that people had with her. And I think ultimately that's going to impact her legacy because from the information that I've heard, what I've seen, she seemed to be a very cruel and cold person. And I think that's the legacy that's going to live on with her. What were your thoughts, Steve? You know, I'll I'll say this to answer a question before I go on my tangent on this matter. I believe she's going to end up in history books and how we portray her. She is going to be, be portrayed in a very high positive manner 30, 40, 50, 70 years from now because of how long she ruled and what happened. What happened during and everything that, that transpired throughout the whole world. And her, just when you look at her regime. So in history books, she'll be painted, historically speaking, as somebody who was great, just like how we grew up thinking all these people were great. Now we're changing the day. So maybe on that one, I will say that historically speaking, I just do not care about the royal family. Never have, never will. Can't stress enough. I've seen every when the royal weddings happen and people are all over social media and talking about what people are wearing. I couldn't care less. I'd rather watch the newest season of the Kardashians than watch anything to do with the royal family. But that said, the new season was not that bad. We'll get into Trish and Thompson. We're going to let that one go. I'm just here to tell you, it's not that bad. If you get sucked in, it's not that bad. But what I was saying is, and I think this all came about my grandma, rest her soul, huge Princess Diana fan. So she did like the royal family. She was done and she blamed the family at the time. So it was just whatever. I was a young lad. Um, now looking back, kind of team Princess Diana, I'm certainly team Meghan Markle, uh, shout out suits. Um, and when they left the family and how she was portrayed and knocked off and you hear about the queen worrying about when they had a child, what color was it going to be and all these different things like, yeah, she's clearly a vile old woman. Nobody should be surprised. So she's put on this really high mantle that she was so amazing yet people are celebrating her death all over social media um so i think that speaks for itself of what she'll be but history is going to put her in a, a very high light and you're going to see that next week during her her, her funeral and the services that happen yeah and you know i i agree steve that yeah, i think overall especially with the way and who produces a lot of these record books and and history books that it will be positive, even though there's definitely a, a very negative track record when you look at the the human ethics side, especially in countries outside of England. And with her, you know, it's it's something where I think we see it in the United States. You can't put everything on the the leader, even if, you know, it's a king, president or what, you know, there's a, a sense of the royal family being figureheads more than real um, conveyors of power or, you know, having the control over the country that, you know, a king or a monarch used to have centuries ago. But at the same time, I think there have been opportunities for things to change in some of the countries. And, you know, whether that's based on her fear of, you know, the royal family losing some power within or control within, you know, the country as it relates to parliament or, you know, not trying to get into all the English politics. But, you know, I think there is a lot there where you're left to be desired for, you know, change and and more things that even we see right now as United States, you know, we we can't really call out England too much because over history, the United States has followed their playbook in some instances and way too closely when it comes to 
uh, oppressive actions against people of color and, you know, doing things against other nations that don't have the really, you know, the ability to defend themselves as underdeveloped countries or developing countries. So, you know, I, I do want to see what comes out of this change and, and whether her passing is just another sign towards uh, equality on all fronts. But, you know, I can't point the finger and hold this completely over her as, you know, the real reason why England still is doing the same things that, you know, the United States has been accused of as well. Well, and this is to, to kind of bring my point home is that we always hear about people that maybe don't see how we see things as, as they say, the United States, Oh, if you think it's bad here, go anywhere else. You have freedom here. You could do a B C D E that you can. And that's, that is very, very true. And in the parliament over there, they do possess a lot of power that they are not going to give up. We fight for ours here. They don't even feel like they have the ability to fight. But with that being said, you don't ever look across the pod to go, oh, you're right. Things could be worse. So we'll just let things be how they are here. Now, nobody's going to do that. It'll never be that way. Um, it'll always come back to right and wrong. Um, I'm assuming they'll move in a positive uh, manner. Going forward, I don't know about now. I mean, who is it, King? I almost said King Richard. It's not King Richard. Who who's the new king now? The guy who's married to Diana. That uh, I believe is King Charles the Third now. Charles, the guy who once proposed to his second cousin, that's now in charge before Diana. So yeah, that's who that is. Um. So yeah, there there you go. I guess I guess we'll see. Like I said, season two of uh, the Kardashians comes out next week if anybody's even remotely interested. You know, I get there's a girl for the queen, but I'd be remiss. Yeah, and uh, I just wanted to jump back in here. Maybe I misunderstood, so I definitely agree with both of you um, that as far as the history books go, there'll definitely be some whitewashing here. Um, and she will definitely be painted in in a bright light. Yeah, and I, I think I got what you were saying earlier too, Byron. Just in terms of, you know, there is so much negativity swarming there that rightfully so should be called out, should leave a, a stigma uh, to some degree on her overall legacy. But again, there are, you know, there's there's a. Uh, a commonality sometimes when it comes to these types of legacies and how they're painted when it comes to the history books and the people that have the most control in terms of the narrative. So yeah, you're, you're seeing a lot of articles about outpouring of love and thousands of support showing their respect, but that's, that's really not the case if you dig a little bit deeper and, you know, while you can see some clear division on the cultural lines and demographics of who's being more positive versus who's being more negative. You know, the history of what has transpired over the last century basically does show that, you know, you, you can't always cry for somebody who might have always uh, pushed a, a certain regime in the direction of oppression and power over equality and, and balance and collaboration. So, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what the, the next stage in the Royal family is um, there. This is one of the most known monarchs in the world, but it definitely isn't the only one. So on that note, well, let's, let's talk about quickly about some of our uh, action items collective concerns going into the following weeks. Byron, what do you have on deck? So again, you know, I challenge all of our listeners to ensure that they're doing uh, their research as we get into this election season. It's getting around that time mid uh, September here. So do your research. Don't just go out there and pick a name that you like and vote for it or Go straight ticket, like actually do some research, find out if these people are taking actions to help you to help, you know, the people of we the people see if they're taking the correct active um, action steps to actually stand behind that and be for the people and not for their own pocketbooks. That's great, Steve. 
go support women's sports. And I speak to two people when I make that comment. If you are a fan of sports, watch the WNBA championship. Uh, it may be done by the time we get done. Uh, I kind of forgot about that. But with that said, go support women's sports if you like sports. If you don't like sports, but you support women, go support women's sports. Um, the numbers could drastically be up. This is a great way to drive revenue. And uh, I don't think enough people support women's sports. And I'm not referring to men that enjoy sports. I'm actually speaking to the opposite. That's great. I'm glad you mentioned that, Steve, because I was uh, in San Diego. They had Snapdragon Stadium open, the new stadium for the Aztecs, and is shared with the San Diego Way for the National Women's Soccer League. And they had their first sellout in the history of that league. And, you know, it was a huge event. You know, the the world knows about the United States and their women, female soccer stars and how successful and talented they are. So it was good to see that sell out there. But, um, you know, for me, I think piggybacking off Byron, you know, looking at your candidates, but also looking at those propositions out there. You know, you're seeing a lot of commercials in between football games and television shows to give you a quick snippet of what's happening and why they want you to vote and what the impact is going to be under their eyes and in their perspective but you know this is the time really to dig in and figure out what's what and there are some good resources out there that will post and that you know you'll continue to see from reuters ap 538 and other um legitimate reputable news organizations that cover these topics so that is that my goal for the next couple of weeks is to learn up more going into november and then you know be ready to go help the world champion change now so on that note we're going to wrap the show do some research for our initiatives and candidates for steve Kerwin and byron hazley this is adam stone signing off again see you next time everybody well that's the show thanks again for joining us and if you did not get the social media from earlier steve can you tell them one more time where they can find us Absolutely, Adam. Go to the website, thecommittedcollective.org. Don't forget to sign up for our monthly newsletter. You could find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Committed Collective. And my personal favorite on Facebook, The Committed Collective Forum, where we have open dialogue topics about conversations that we need to have that we might not necessarily want to. As always, remember to challenge inequalities and champion change now. 